Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. The defense was great against a seven foot four kid, and we don't have anybody who's like half his size. And I called Chris Collins last night. I didn't want to text. I called him. And Cheryl says, What are you doing? It's like midnight. I'm like, I don't care. Greatest day of his coaching life. He can't be asleep. Not. And I don't care. I'm (laughs) going to wake him. (laughs) And I call him, and the phone rings one time, and he picks up and he goes, been waiting to hear from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Wilbon has somehow figured out that if Northwestern, they have four games left in the Big Ten schedule. If they lose them all, they're not going to make the tournament. And I said, you're going to make the tournament. Yeah. You just beat the number one team in the country late in the season. You're going to make the tournament. You have the benefit of the doubt against anybody who's close to you uh, on the bubble. You're going to make the tournament. You're going to make it comfortably. Apparently, uh, Joe Lenardi has them in a seventh seed. Okay. And you have you have at-large teams all the way up to ten. So if you have a seventh seed, you're in. It's yeah. also a school and program they want to see succeed. Just win one more game. Win one more game to guarantee you're above 500 in the conference you're going to get in. Greg Garcia has sent us an email. At the risk of sending the show two emails in the last nine days and exposing myself as someone very little to fill his days, <laughs> I want to echo the sentiments of my fellow Littles that the Pramati brothers make a damn fine French fry filled sandwich. I go for the Capicola and cheese and throw in a fistful of bacon for good measure. Mm-hmm. During my five months working in Pittsburgh, that's where they did sprung. That's right. During my five months working in Pittsburgh, I think I ate my weight in these sandwiches and that combined with my free Burger King card and free wings for life from ButcherBox. I should be knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door soon enough for my wife to remarry while she's still ambulatory. (laughs) It's funny. Also, I agree with you that Total Eclipse of the Heart is a great song, a guilty pleasure that is best enjoyed when the volume is set at 11. In fact, there's a radio station here in L.A., and before they play the song, the DJ says, you may want to roll up your windows. This is about to get embarrassing. (laughs) Sitting by the phone waiting for Chuck and Roxy to call, Greg Garcia. Michael has clothing. Uh, you want to describe the clothing that you have? Someone listened. Right. I, I walk downstairs and I see an apron draped over my chair. Chief grilling officer of the Tony Kornheiser Show. <laughs> Don't you feel good about that? I, it, it certainly says a lot about my place in life, yes. <laughs> and, well, they, they, you have, that was the title that you accepted. I, and, I, and I wear that title proudly. Uh, yes. this, will, this will have to fight for top place against my floral print uh, apron that I... <laughs> I think I took from my mother-in-law. But you, don't, you still don't have one from Fisher's Island, which would dwarf anything that we could do. Oh, now, you. you're just, now you're just yeah. taking cheap shots. Um, so you have this. And also you got a hat. I will tell this story. Uh, Bonnie brought over some mail yesterday, and one of the pieces of mail was from the Washington Nationals. <clears throat> and they described the fact that pitchers and catchers were reporting. Uh, and it was a Valentine's Day missive and it, it was this it, this rhymes with this and this rhymes with that and it was cherry blossoms bloom and they sent a hat a winter hat with what do they call that logo that's their hometown yeah this is the city connect hometown logo that they've right. been, they've been with cherry slowly blossoms. releasing with every team and so it is a beautiful gray hat oh a big you know winter hat with a uh cherry blossom pom-pom on the top and the W and the cherry blossoms. And nothing says South it. Florida like a pom pom hat. Well, so you know, oh, yeah. I sent it over to you. Yeah, no, it's great, and I think it'll be great for Liz. Yeah, oh, thank you. Well, uh, that's what Carol said. It would be great for Liz. I thought it'd be great for you. No, no, that's very kind. Yeah. I already have is, the, is uh, the, the. That's the logo. I well, have the no, that's cap. the logo, oh, but that's that's a baseball hat. This is a winter a hat. Winter hat. This is a sock hat, right? Is what do they call those hats? It's a pom pom hat. Yeah, you know, it's that kind of hat. Uh, this put put into perspective all the new baseball rules yesterday, which I'm still trying to unpack. But if it makes for uh, faster games by roughly 25 minutes, they said for the pitch clock alone We're gonna and have, more action with the stealing, I'm for we'll it. We'll have Kirkchin on in a minute, and he'll talk about it, right? Hard Don't we to have be Kirkchin? very we excited for pitchers and catchers we right do. now. We do. I, went, uh, I left my house on Monday night. For those of you who listened carefully to this show, you may remember that the last time James Carver was on, winning the Super Bowl bet and winning the over. You may remember he said he was going to be at the Palm on Tuesday. That's right. Tuesday he was going to be at the Palm. So on Monday I called over to the Palm to find out if Michael was there. Michael was not working that day. Melinda was working that day. And I said, I think Carville's going to be there tomorrow night. Can you tell me what time he's going to be there? Because I'll try and run over. Oh, he's going to be here tonight. I said, tonight? 
tonight's Monday. He said, yeah, yeah, there's a table for four. And I said, oh, and then I talked to you about this. And you also remembered it being Tuesday. Yes. But you texted Carville. I texted Carville. And I said, I'm just trying to check. Is it tonight? Is it tomorrow night? And he said, no, it's definitely tonight, yeah, Monday. Well, so he, okay. He, so I got in the car and I drove over to the Palm, which I don't usually do. In fact, I don't, it's not that I don't drive. I love the Palm. Yes. My favorite place on earth. I haven't been there in years. Well, I've been there once or twice, but I don't really go. I'm afraid to be out. I'm afraid I'm going to get COVID, even though my son tells me, stop worrying about this. I worry about it constantly. It is in my genetic makeup to worry constantly. So I go over there and then I park. There's, if you know where the Palm is in Washington, D.C., as you're going down 19th Street towards Virginia, which is the only way you can go because it's a one-way street, there is right by the Palm, there is a driveway area that leads to the back of whatever buildings are there. So I park my car halfway into the driveway thereby blocking all access to the driveway. And I get out to wait for the valet. Because there's a valet. I've been going there for 40 years. There's a valet. I go inside to say, I hear my keys for the valet. And I'm told, oh, we don't valet on Monday. Oh, well, I didn't didn't know that. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. So I parked on the street, totally illegal on the street, because I was only going to be there about 10 minutes. Honestly, I was not going to stay and eat. I wanted to see James. I wanted to, in effect, pay my respects to a great friend and leave him alone with his party. Didn't know who was going to be there. I gave the keys to the front desk and I said, if, any, if there's any police activity, you know, just move the car. And I go in the back and James is wearing an LSU sweatshirt and an LSU hat. And there's a table, not of four, but of six or seven. A whole bunch of guys younger than James who I suspect are acolytes. You know, who know James from politics. In fact, a couple of them were introduced to me as having worked in the White House. So these are, these are James's guys. Except for one of the guys. And it was great to see James, by the way. And I only really only stayed 10, 12 minutes. And I got out. And if I get COVID, I'll get it tomorrow. No, I don't feel like I've got it today. I still have my lingering cold, which Michael has insisted to me, is an old-fashioned American cold, and stop worrying about it, right? And it's probably just as bad as the COVID you could get when okay. you're going through the palm. Right. When you're telling James, I won't stay even though you're one of my dear friends. Yeah. And you've done nothing but be of great service to the show over the last couple of years. All of which I conveyed in less than 40 seconds <laughs> and sat down for a little while. One of the people there, do you know how James talks about T-Boy Lachelet? Yes. And ACL Sports? Oh, yeah. That's this year was ACL Sports. That's the algorithm. Yeah, the algorithm. One of the guys there was ACL Sports. Really? He was that guy. (laughs) He was that guy. This is a real website? Apparently. (laughs) Apparently it's a real website. And he was that guy who got James to plus 30. Wait, let me give you James's record for the entire betting year. Not counting the basketball game. Okay, this includes his prop bets. James was... 74, 44, and 4. He was plus 30. So if you just did this, if you bet $10 with him originally, I'm not talking about 100 bucks. If you bet $10 with him originally, and you took your winning, you took your bet out and put the rest down, and then you took your bet out and put the rest down, because you could not do anything worse than, than break even at that point, you would have made, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. with Carville. If you took out half of your winnings, you'd have made less, but you'd have still made thousands and thousands of dollars with Carville and ACL Sports. And I met that guy, who, by the way, raved about Rufus on golf. Oh, really? Says that Rufus is the greatest better of golf in the world. Rufus, not T. Firefly, which Rufus, is from the movie. Rufus Peabody. Rufus Peabody, if that's a real name. I've never met Rufus. That's what he raved about. Uh, let me just take a couple of seconds to thank Tracy Callahan, who sent over beautiful roses for Valentine's Day, as if I had done that myself. <laughs> so if you're, in, you're in the Washington area, go to Bethesda Florist. Yes. And go to Tracy, because Tracy is the greatest florist in the world, and I'm appreciative. And let me end with just this, as we go on to get Tim Kirchner. One of the things we shot down, the one over Lake Huron, we missed on yes. the first shot. You asked about that. We missed. Yeah. And the, the general who was in charge or the general who was speaking about this says, 
The missile fell harmlessly into the water. Are you sure? These are missiles. Guided, we thought. The kid who missed, he's got to get out of the program. They're not, uh, these things are not using evasive tactics. They're sitting there. You measure how fast they go. You know all about them. There's no, this ain't a dog fight. You're the dog in this fight. And you missed? You can't miss. He passes to the man. You can't miss, and boom goes the dynamite. Maybe in the middle of Lake Huron. Maybe. We'll take a break. Tim Kirchin, when we return, talking about the new baseball rules. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes to us from Clay Cruz, who writes, On this day when I have to watch yet another Super Bowl without my Saints playing, except this time it wasn't due to historically bad officiating or miracles. They just suck. I'm writing to you about music and my kid. Her name is Sydney Cruz. She's 23. She has a music and business degree from Loyola in New Orleans. Gorgeous school. And now lives and works in L.A. doing music licensing for Warner Media. She's also a vocalist, musician, and composer, probably like tons of others in L.A. Even though all four of my kids will tell you I'm brutally honest, I know that I could be biased here, but I think my kid has something going. She made an album and is now releasing a song every three weeks or so. This attached song, May, is her second release from last Friday. Appreciate you folks listening. If you think it's legit, play it on the show. Much appreciated. This is Sydney Cruz. This is called May. And this is how we define talent in America. She plays in Tim Kirkchen, and because pitchers and catchers have reported, I should ask you, have you reported to spring training? Are you, if you haven't, are you going? And what is your itinerary if you go? <laughs> Normally I would have gone yesterday, Tony, but we had some family things I needed to take care of. I'm going today. I'm going to start with the Mets. Then I'm going to see the Astros and the Nationals on that side. Then I'm going to the other side, and I'm going to go see the Yankees, the Red Sox, and Phillies. I have three games from the booth, end of February, early March. The first six teams I have, I'm going to see them because I have them for a booth game. And then I'm going to continue my coverage and see as many teams as possible, come home, and then go back to Arizona. So that's the plan. When you go to the Mets, that will be the only team where the top two pitchers in the rotation are older than you and I at this point. Uh, (laughs) Can they hold up? I mean, I'm talking about Verlander, who is over 40, and Scherzer, who I think is 38. Can they hold up? Uh, Yes, they can hold up for the season. We'll see if they can hold up for October. Um, Verlander won the uh, Cy Young last year. He won a World Series last year and had one of the most remarkable seasons in baseball history, given that he did all this at that age coming off of Tommy, Tommy John. John surgery. A miracle. And Scherzer is a miracle by himself, just how, just how good he still is, just how violent he is in every delivery, and he's still a really good pitcher at this age. Now, I can't promise you that when they get to the playoffs in October that both of them will be at full strength and the best they can be. Can't promise you that, but they have a really good team. And the biggest reason why is those two guys at the top of the rotation. They lost when the Mets were beginning to be sort of in vogue and they had Matt Harvey and they had Syndergaard and they had DeGrom. They're all gone. They're replaced by ancient people. They're all gone. Can you imagine? I guess, well, Tim, they wouldn't have gotten... Uh, both Scherzer and Verlander, if they had those other guys, and they were great, right? They wouldn't have done it. Right, but it's just another reminder, Tony, how much experience really matters in all sports, and especially in baseball. Understanding the craft of pitching is really important, and that's something that Verlander and Scherzer have always understood what it takes to be really good at any point. And some of those young guys with the Mets, not their 
they got hurt, they, they wandered, they drifted, they did some things they shouldn't have done, and that's why it didn't work out. The great pitchers, the great players are the ones who post all the time and understand the competition of the game and never lose that comprehension of that. Let's get to the, to the issues at hand, and that is the rule changes. They are being imposed this year. We're not playing. They're not in the minor leagues now. They're in the major leagues. Can you run down the rule changes and give us your opinions on these rule changes? Because people sitting here at this table right now are eager for them because we apparently believe they will indeed shorten the game. Well, we're hoping not only do they shorten the game, they bring more action to the game. So let's hope the pitch clock works. 15 seconds with nobody on base, 20 seconds with a runner on first, let's, or runner on base. Let's hope that the pitchers get to it a little bit quicker. That's the first thing. The bigger thing is the shift change. And, Tony, it took me forever to come around to this, but I am now in favor of at least trying something with the shift. We have lost the value of the hit in today's game. Our batting champion no longer matters in today's game. We only care how many home runs did you hit. By changing the shift rule, it's possible now that hitters are going to come to the plate, including big left-handed hitters, and say, well, I can't hit it through those four guys standing over there. I have to hit it over them, and that's where all the walks, homers, and strikeouts come from. That's the biggest problem in the game today is the pitchers are too good for the hitters. Now a hitter may come to the plate, see four infielders all with their feet on the dirt, two on each side a second, and say, I can hit a ground ball up the middle here and get a hit. I can hit a ground ball to the right of the first baseman and get a hit. Maybe we'll get more hits, we'll hit fewer home runs, we'll have more balls in play, the games will move faster, and the game will be better. Tony, the players are bigger, stronger, faster, and better than ever. The game should be better than it's ever been, and it isn't. And maybe this is a way, one way at least, of trying to bring it back. Any other rules? We got the 10th inning rule, start a man on second. I didn't like it at first, and then I honestly came to love it. I did. I can't well, love it. Um, I totally disagree. Um, uh, this is the only rule, and it's not a new rule this year because we've had it. Right. Uh, I'm totally against this rule. Okay. I think, Tony, I'm sorry, I'm 66. I'm almost as old as you. It's not even close. <laughs> I don't think it's too much to ask major league players to play a 14-inning game. I understand we're trying to keep everyone healthier, but some of the greatest games I've ever seen lasted 15 innings. The three postseason games that I covered that, that lasted 18 innings were fascinating games. Those, those days are over, and I think, oh, we got to protect the players. I think it's okay to ask a relief pitcher to give us another inning. I think it's okay to ask our starter, we're going to go seven today, we're not going five. I think it's okay to do that, but the game has decided not, and you, by the way, are in the vast majority well, I, I would amend rule. it. I disagree. I would amend it to this. I would adopt the NHL rule. I don't have to have it in the regular season. I, you know what I mean? In, in the playoffs, I would let it go like the NHL does. Like the, we're not, We don't have shootouts in the playoffs in the NHL. Right. Well, this rule doesn't apply, Tony, to the postseason. Oh, it doesn't. Okay. No. But, Tony, if it's such a great rule, well, yeah, I understand. why aren't we using it in the postseason? I, I, okay. I'm totally Fair point. against this rule. Um, my understanding is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that almost universally players hate all new rules. Um, I think you're wrong. Okay. I think, well, first off, I think, the pitchers are going to hate the pitch clock. Yes, they are. I don't think the hitters are going to like the pitch clock. I think they're going to appreciate, at least some of them, the shift rule, because I know there are a lot of pitchers who have looked around the infield and seen nobody standing at shortstop and said, what the heck are we doing here? Um, I think the players are mostly in favor of a 10-inning game instead of a 14-inning game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the players, for the most part, are okay with most of these things with, except for the pitch clock. Now, we'll see about the big bases. I'm still not by any means convinced that that's a good re- rule, but I'm, I'm willing to go along with this to repeat, Tony, because the game needs an adjustment now. 
243 average for the teams last year. That's not good enough. We need to get more hits. We need more action. We need more people running around, and we need more great defense. And there will be more great defense by outlawing the shift because now guys have to show real range instead of having a teammate standing six feet away from it. Yeah, I would also – I know this is a small rule change, and it's two in combination. The larger bases and the inability to throw over to first more than twice, I think that will lead to base stealing, and I think everybody loves to see the runner go and the catcher try and throw him out. People love that. I agree. Now, the pitchers are going to hate the disengaged rule with the rubber. You can't do that more than two, three times, whatever it is. And, yes, you can't throw over there. So now players are going to be much more cognizant, pitchers especially. Pitchers will hate this rule. They're going to have to make an adjustment. And, Tony, if it doesn't work, we have to be in a position to say, this is a joke. This is not working. We have to change this rule. And, and there are elements in place that can change things if things go real badly. The most traditional sport we have is baseball. Hockey changes rules all the time. Football changes rules all the time. Basketball has outlawed all defense. There's no defense in basketball. The most traditional sport we have with the most traditional rules is baseball. It seems to me that what everybody says is, We are trying to make the game shorter in order to appeal to an electorate out there that is younger and has less patience. Is that a wise thing to do, Tim? Yes. I'm going to disagree with the word shorter. We need to make the game better. We need to make the game more exciting. We need to have more action in the game. Mm -hmm. I've covered major league games that are three hours and 10 minutes and they fly by and they're entertaining at every turn. I've I've covered other games that are four hours and are awful because they take forever. So we're trying, we don't want to make them shorter necessarily. Tony, as long as we have pitchers dominating at this level, we're going to have a million strikeouts no matter what. And the games are going to last this isn't going to take the average game time from 315 to 245. Right. That's not going to happen. Right. But maybe in that 315 or that three hours, It'll be we're more going to have fun. a whole lot more action going on offensively and defensively. I think you're seeing it from a perspective that very few people see it from. I think because you've loved the game and covered it for so long, you put that spin on it. I think most people will say make the game shorter. Just make the game shorter. Everything should be shorter. This is what people say now but we'll see i mean both can both can work uh artie moreno pulled back the only baseball team up for sale of the washington nationals could they change their minds um tony this is not my strength i will tell you i'd rather talk to an outfielder than an owner okay i'm not good at that however (laughs) i spoke to someone who might know a little bit about this and he insisted that artie moreno pulled back because he wasn't getting anywhere near what he thought he was going to get for the sale of the team. And I was told something very similar is going on with the Nationals, that they're just not getting what they thought they would get for the franchise. Now, they would make a killing no matter what they sell it for, as would the Angels. But that's not the point. They had a figure in mind. This is what the team is worth. And I'm told, but not by the commissioner of baseball, but someone who might know, that they're not getting close to that. So I don't think they've changed their mind. They're just trying to read the market and see, is this the market now for a major league team? The, the sports market has been utterly distorted by these people who spend money on basketball teams. That is beyond comprehension. $4 billion for the Phoenix Suns. Right, Tim? That's beyond comprehension. It is just... Well, Again, Tony, I don't understand ownership well. and I certainly don't understand basketball at that level. But you're playing 162 games in baseball. You're playing 81 in basketball. Yeah. And you're telling me an NBA team is worth that kind of money? I, I find that hard to believe. But maybe it's reality, and maybe that's what baseball owners are thinking. Well, if the Suns can go for $4 billion, yeah. then we're worth $5 billion. And right. they're not getting $5 billion for a major league no. team Football's in Washington or, or the Angels right now. Right. Um, small question. Trevor Bauer, we're never going to see him again, are we? Um, 
note my hesitation here, Tony. Okay. I, I'm going to say no. I don't think he's ever going to pitch again in the major leagues. The atmosphere, the climate in the game right now for something like that, I just don't see how that's going to happen. Now, there's always, as we say, the old cliche, it only takes one owner, and this guy's still really good, but you better be certain what you're doing when you bring him in, given what he's been through. And so my guess is he's not going to pitch again in the major leagues. Okie dokie. All right, enjoy yourself. We'll watch for you on these games. There won't be a lot of Nats games on the schedules because not everybody wants to see a team that is 40 and 120. (laughs) Uh, But we'll talk. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tony. Tim Kirkjian, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Peter King will join us when we return. We will pretty much wrap up the football season. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is our friend, Brett Wisconsin. This is a song called I Was Just Thinking of You, which he writes came out on Valentine's Day yesterday. Folks can stream it or download it anywhere they stream things. And he writes, I also got word and wanted to share that I will be performing on the Good Vibrations Cruise, hosted by the Beach Boys, yes, the actual ones, featuring Mike Love and Bruce Johnston. Also appearing will be the Righteous Brothers, the Isley Brothers, the Temptations, and Uncle Jesse himself, John Stamos, among others. We leave out of the port of Miami on Friday, March 3rd, with stops in Belize and Mexico. And Tony, I have an extra cap. If you want to pack your tambourine and Revolution toaster and join the band for a week on the open seas. The Righteous Brothers are no more. Yeah. Uh, the Isley Brothers, I think, are no more. Uncle Jesse, have The Temptations, mercy. there may be one guy. Yeah. Um, but Bruce Johnston uh, Mike Love. singing Disney Girls and Mike Love singing everything else because you don't expect Brian to get on this cruise. Probably not. You know, that sounds like I, if I cruised, <laughs> I would want to take this cruise. Yeah. The Good Vibrations Cruise, leaving out of the Port of Miami on Friday, March the 3rd. Uh, Brett Wiskin's song is I Was Just Thinking of You. Michael, if people like Brett want to send us their music as they do, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. Peter King joins us now, part of the Newsday Alumni Society. And to my right, for people watching on News Channel 8, you can see the picture of me and Peter uh, up on the wall. Are you a cruise guy? I'm afraid of cruises. Do you ever go on cruises? Never been on one in my life, Tony. Do you want to? Because I don't. No, not really. I think it's a Petri dish for diseases. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to go. Not only that, but you know what? I, my wife and I, for an anniversary one time, we uh, we got on a train in Vancouver, and we were going to take the train all across Canada to see Canada. Right. And it sounded great, but around Winnipeg, halfway through the country, we were going stir-crazy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's funny. They bring the, the alcohol cart around about 11 o'clock every morning, <laughs> and it goes goes around for the rest of the day, and we said, oh, my God. We're like drinking, and and we've had enough at like two in the afternoon. What are we doing? So we ended up getting off at Winnipeg and flying the rest of the way. That's good. That's good. That's a very practical solution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that you don't work for Fox, and I don't work for Fox, and we work on competing networks. Um, I, I really thought the booth at the Super Bowl was good. I, I guess I hadn't heard, you know, because I'm a red zone guy, so you don't get to hear booths a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and I hadn't heard Burkhart and Greg Olson that much, and I thought what <laughs> Greg Olson was saying about how you know this is a fourth down drive because of what they're calling on third. I just found it – I felt they were very good. I'm not asking you to say they're very good if you don't believe they're very good, but did you like, did you like the, the game? Well, first of all, I don't hear anything of the game. Um, I so I, I mean so I have no idea how they did. Oh, so you I watch do, differently? Yeah, you watch differently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in the press box, so yeah. you know we don't have the game yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and look, I have uh, the games I've watched this year because Tony, I would say about half the time. Uh, when I'm watching games at home, I'd say two-thirds of the weekends, I don't travel anymore. I just sit home and I watch either Red Zone or Red Zone on one screen and the game of the week on another screen. I've heard enough out of Olsen to know that I really like him. Yeah. And I think Kevin, I think Kevin Burkhardt is fantastic. 
yeah, I, I think he I think he's going to be Joe Buck. Uh, you know, and I nobody is the same as anybody else, but I think he's that good. I think he's going to be really good for a long time. But the thing that I like about Olsen, I'm, I've known Greg Olsen forever. I've known him since his rookie year in the NFL when he was a Bear, and, <clears throat> and he's always been a really good and thoughtful guy. And look, when I finish at the end of the night, it's 3.30 in the morning, and I need a few more things to finish up my column. So my editor at NBC sent me a chunk of an Andrew Marchand column uh, from, uh, you know, how did the, how did Olsen and Burkhardt do? Mm-hmm. And so I stole this. I credited Marchand. But, uh, you know, when, when Jarek McKinnon was running for the end zone with, I don't know, a minute to go or whatever, and right away uh, Olsen says, he's got to get down, he's got to get down. And indeed, you know, he fell down at the one, and they were able to run the clock out and kick the field goal. I mean – my whole point is that I think announcers need to add to your appreciation of the game, and I think Greg Olson does that. I agree. I hadn't heard them before. Burkhardt's great. His voice yeah. is absolutely great. When they showed a picture of the booth and he was this skinny guy, I said, wow, he's, what a gift. You know, it's like, look, it's the Al Michaels gift. Charlie Steiner. Charlie Steiner had that voice at Malvern High School, right? You know, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just... <laughs> That's just lucky. I need to ask you this. When are they going to – this is an overview question. When are they going to add the 18th game and do the Super Bowl? Hopefully the, never. Hopefully uh, I'll be in the cold, cold ground by then. <laughs> yeah, but they're going to – don't they have to make it so that the Super Bowl is, is on President's Weekend so that Monday's a day I, off? Uh, Tony, you know what? I've gotten questions about that for 20 years. Yeah. And anytime you ask the NFL, they say they like the schedule the way it is. And look, you could right now add a second bye week and you could put it on President's Day weekend so that everybody could, uh, theoretically, at least as many people and maybe more would watch the game. But I, a long time ago, when I first asked this question, you know what the NFL told me? Somebody from the NFL, and this was, this was like one iteration ago. This was before Goodell got in office. So this was probably 20 years ago. They said, look, there's a reason why we moved games off. We, we don't start on Labor Day weekend. I said, why don't you start on Labor Day weekend? He said, because he said, TV ratings on Labor Day weekend are Terrible. always very hit and miss. Yeah. Because people are away. Yeah. They're on vacation. They travel. They go to the beach. They go do this. And the NFL honestly fears the exact same thing on President's Weekend. Okay. For all the people who go to Curacao or wherever they go on President's Day weekend for, you know, they fly away on Thursday and have a, have a nice four-day weekend in the middle of the winter, uh, they're afraid that those people are not going to watch the game. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it isn't true. I think America has become Super Bowl proof that no matter where yeah. you are, you're going to find a way to watch the game. But that's what I was always told. Is it curious? I'm curious about this other thing, the DeMar Hamlin story. I think it turned into a plus for the NFL. I understand all the concerns about health and safety, and I understand there was a flurry of columnists, uh, uh, largely stupid, um, just talking about how the NFL had to go away completely. I think the way that was handled, and I think the way Hamlin has handled it, um, I, I think that the NFL was looked at as having done right in all of those measures. Do you agree, disagree on that? I think it was handled 90% right. Um, and plus, you know, the bottom line is this, Tony, it was almost exactly uh, 25 years to the day of the last time a football player's heart in the NFL, football players' heart stopped on the field. And so uh, I, for anybody to, to use that to say football shouldn't exist anymore is ridiculous. Well, those columns were it, it so turns out It turns out he was hit in exactly the right spot mm-hmm. at exactly the right time, and his heart stopped. And luckily, you've got 30 medical personnel at every NFL game, and there was a great CPR giver. Who is the assistant trainer of the Buffalo Bills? Who 
who ended up, uh, you know, who ended up giving him CPR, and he lived. But I don't, I, I never for a moment thought that there was a reason that that should be a reason why football shouldn't exist or pro football shouldn't exist. And look, there's a lot of reasons that you can find fault with the NFL. The only thing that I say, the reason not 100%, I think the NFL milked it a little bit at the end um, and patted itself on the back a little bit. Uh, and it, it was fine, and I liked what they did at NFL Honors. I, I don't know. To me, uh, you did a good job. It's time to move on. Agreed. Agreed on that. You mentioned before how the, the, the country is Super Bowl-proof. The dominance of the NFL in America is stunning. All people have to do is look at the 100 most-watched shows of any given year, and you'll find that 75 of them are the NFL and then another 15 are college football because football is it. Does that extend to the USFL rebooting, to the XFL rebooting? Does it extend in your mind? I mean, who? I don't know. I will pay... And I'm not, I'm not trying to be any, uh, I'm not trying to say anything that doesn't mean anything. It could be that they'll get good ratings and everything like that. I don't care at all. I won't watch it. It just, my belief is that like the birds once said to everything, there is a season turn, turn, turn. I don't watch football. I don't care about football. I, my job is that I have to care about the combine and the draft and all those things. So I I dabble in it. I, I'm not an expert in anything after the football season because you know what? I care about opening day. I go watch a lot of baseball. Time to relax. Time to get away. And I love my job. Absolutely love my job. But I don't want to do it 12 months a year. And I, I just I don't know that America is crying out on February 26th to see Birmingham against Provo. Or, well, I don't even know the teams in the league. But, I, Tony, I just don't, I don't care. I don't care. It's so great. So great. Here's something to care about. Aaron Rodgers going into the triangle of darkness for four days. At what point do we Why raise our hands? Why is it a rectangle? What if he's in a rectangular house? What, you know, How do you know he's going into a triangle? Whatever he's doing, at what point do we raise our hands and go, it was fun for a long time, now get out of here. Leave us alone. I, hey, Tony, Tony, what do you think the Green Bay Packers are saying? <laughs> yes. Tony, exactly 15 years ago, exactly, exactly, Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy, the GM and coach of the Green Bay Packers, said to Brett Favre, we need a decision from you early in the off season about whether you're going to come back because we have this guy who's been around here for three years, a guy named Aaron Rodgers, who we think is ready to play. If you want to play, the job is yours, but we need to know early and we need you to be involved in the off season. Okay. Because Favre didn't like being involved in the off season. I mean, is history repeating itself or what? Brian Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur, the GM and the coach of the Green Bay Packers, have said to Aaron Rodgers, presumably, we need a decision. And uh, are you going to retire? Are you going to play? Do you want to stay? Do you want to go? Whatever. And we've got this guy who's been around for three years. And we need to know because we think Jordan Love can play. And they are not kicking Aaron Rodgers out. But I do think, Tony... They want more involvement with Aaron Rodgers in the offseason than they're getting. And you saw it last year. Young receiver core, he wasn't around until mandatory minicamp in June. And they had a tremendous amount of trouble getting on the same page uh, you know, early in the season with their new receiving core. And so I think they want Aaron Rodgers to be around, but I think that means they want him to be around. So we'll see what happens after the triangle of sadness. <laughs> Such a delight to <laughs> chat with you. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, thank you. Okay, Tony, thank you. Peter King, boys and girls. He's on whenever we do the football shows at the Super Bowl. Peter King joins us on PTI once a year. It makes us very happy. As I said, Peter worked at Newsday after I worked at Newsday. There is not an official Newsday Alumni Society, but there should be. We'll take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some faxes and your nerves. 
gonna read some for all you folks. Gonna read some for all of your folks. I'm just going to read this That's verbatim. The sound. Tony, Tom Mosser, he of the legendary mailbag jingle and dog watching tennis ball picture turned up at my show in Pittsburgh and I couldn't help but make him sing his jingle, which he allowed me to chime in on. I feel like I'm on the Lachiserie tour. Glorious. <laughs> Dan Bird. Dan Bird. Just brilliant. Thank you, Dan. And uh, Tom. The Bethesda Bagel read? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That does it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say in reference to yesterday, Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrow go. Straight to my lover's heart for me, for me. Cupid, please hear my cry and let your arrow fly. Straight to my lover's heart for me. Sam Cooke did that song. You didn't think I would miss that song. Oh, right? I did. When you said yesterday, I said, what's the first word? You said Cupid. I said, okay. Then you went through the entire song. Here we song. go. Thanks yes. to our guests today, Tim Kirkchen and Peter King. Thanks to... Uh, our sponsors as well, ButcherBox, Simply Safe, Liquid IV. Michael has the chief grilling officer um, apron uh, here, which is lovely. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Uh, TK to Steve is still active on JohnnyO.com, so you can get geared up for your uh, late winter cruise. <laughs> that would be great. Or maybe you're taking a train ride. Yeah. yeah. Ain't, got t- ain't got no ticket for a fast plane. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What is it, the letter? Yeah. Box yeah. tops? Box tops. Yes. Give me a ticket for an oh, airplane. Yeah. Ain't got time to take a fast train. Long uh, days are here. No, long days are gone. I'm a coming home. Uh, my baby just sent me a letter. Alex Chilton was like 16 when he sang that or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Doesn't sound like any 16-year-old you've ever heard. <laughs> Fantastic. He and, he and Stevie. Um, Stevie Winwood. Yeah. At 16. <laughs> just like, amazing. Unbelievable, right? Andy Shaner, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. February 8th. May have seemed like another humdrum Wednesday this last week. But I would submit that the opening segment of the show may have been your greatest ever, from Sands and Clark in the race for the Springsteen title to Ripping Rogers, Kyrie, to a mini father-son therapy session, uh, to politics in the State of the Union, finishing up with a Luddite old man rant against cable bill fees and the Internet. <laughs> Spectacular, just perfect microcosm of everything we love about the show. The cherry on top was a profound and simple reflection. Life gets more and more constricting as it gets more open. Sands is right. You're at the top of your game. Never change, Grandpa. My 12-week-old puppy ate an entire loaf of bread once and blew up like a Chinese spy balloon. He was fine. wonder if they got the bread from Breads Unlimited. Mm. From Sarah. That woman. She so said, are careful. you? What? No, I went to there, and I didn't know there was a line out the door, and she asked me, are you online? And I go, I, I didn't realize there were, are you online? And, and I so said, what okay, was your response? You. you know, it's you. Go ahead. Take the, you take left. the spot. I left. That's From best. Sarah in you Seattle, no most bizarre run-in and dental story goes to me. Hiking to a waterfall in Hawaii, I hear my first name and turn back to find my dentist and his wife. <laughs> Quite far from our hometown of York, Pennsylvania. <laughs> back to the dentist. My mom sought him out after our previous dentist was found to not properly clean her tools, leading to all of our patients getting a letter from the state saying we had to be HIV and hepatitis B tested. Scarred for life regarding dentists after that. I fly back to Pennsylvania from my now home of Seattle twice a year to see him. Like the other littles that emailed, I suppose I'll stop going to the dentist entirely when he retires. From Dan Stallionis in Skokie, Illinois. When looking for a dentist a few years ago, the woman to whom I'm related by marriage suggested I use her dentist. I engaged the service of this dentist who was wonderful and who shortly thereafter combined the practice with another dental practice. A year later, our dentist had retired. My due dentist dentist was Obama's dentist. I mean, it's not a round of golf, but it's not an insignificant degree of separation either. From Clay Harrelson in New Orleans, your comment about selecting your dentist based on parking prompted me to email you despite being snubbed by you many times in the past. My daughter, Laura Marie, who teaches English in Kahoku, Japan, lives right across the street from her dentist practice. See if you can work that out in D.C., or she might be willing to take in a roommate. Thank you, Clay. From Gordy in San Diego, California. We knew Cigna was bad. Cigna. Calculated indifference gives no aid. We knew Cigna was bad, but was Nigel the only healthcare provider you could look that took your insurance? I guess the good news is your copay is only a bagel sandwich. From Mark Lynch in Camby, Indiana. Could you send Nigel over to test me for COVID? I have a cough and I want to make sure. 
Also, my daughter is getting married, so send him in his kilt. He does have the doctor's bag. Yeah, I do. Uh, Norman in Winthrop, Massachusetts, next to Rivera. I was a student at the Cornell Hotel School from 1973 to 1977. I had an agreement with my parents that they would cover the cost of my tuition, and I would pay my expenses. Needing to cover my $52 a month rent and a few beers, the drinking age in New York was 18 at that time, I got a job as a cook at the Hojo's on Route 13 at the Trip Hammer exit in Ithaca. I was paid the above minimum weight of, rate of $3.25 per hour, and working 30 hours a week, I was flush with cash. It was an extremely busy restaurant with all-you-can-eat pancakes at breakfast, their famous clam strips, hot dogs grilled in butter on a New England bun, and 28 flavors of ice cream. My choice was chocolate chip. My favorite memory was during the summers. When I worked full-time, I would regularly exceed the then-overtime rule of 48 hours per week. Um, at some point on Sunday, I would reach the limit, and my manager would inform me that he had clocked me out. But I had to stay until the end of the shift regardless. As we say, it was a different time. Yes. Alas, that Hojo's closed a long time ago in what might be on that plot of land just in front of the Ithaca Mall, an Applebee's. Thanks for the many hours of listening. From Matt in Nashville. The show has been a part of my life since the year 2000. I remember when you and Wilbon were talking once on the show about this crazy idea ESPN had featuring you both. It seems to have worked out. I've been listening to the Howard Johnson stories and thought I'd share mine. It's the summer of 1984, and my dad decided to take us kids swimming. He liked to use local hotels and apartment pools instead of actually building a pool at our house. With a move that only a cool uncle could understand, he let my 15-year-old cousin drive his manual transmission Ford Pinto to the hotel. I should mention now that this particular Howard Johnson was located on a very steep hill overlooking the interstate, which I assume was great business, but not so great for drivers with learning permits. My cousin managed the hill with no problem, but as we went to park, she confused the accelerator clutch and the brake. We accelerated over the parking block, down the steep hill, and into the valley filled with brush, thorns, and kudzu. If you know a Ford Pinto... Indeed, I do. I had one. It's not exactly an off-road vehicle. We eventually emerged from the valley below the hotel via an access road and came face-to-face with a stunned maintenance man mowing the property. I would like to say that we never went back to that Howard Johnson's to go swimming, but that wouldn't be true. I owned a Ford Pinto, and I wanted to get license plates, vanity plates. It was 72 Ford Pinto. I wanted to say 72 DOA, but I couldn't get him. Uh, Kate Mehawk in New Orleans. Last Sunday, the man to whom I'm related by marriage came home from the grocery store with a satisfied smile on his face. I knew something was up. He proceeded to tell me that instead of buying a regular chocolate ice cream, he bought Oregon dark cherry. Mm. I, of course, proceeded to start yelling at him. Why would you do that? You know I hate fruit ice cream. I've hated fruit ice cream all my life, and you know that. All I asked you to do was get me one thing at the grocery store, one thing, chocolate ice cream. How hard is it to give your wife something she asked for? Do you ever listen to me? He proceeded to defend himself. Well, it looked good, and it's a brand, a brand we haven't seen before, Tillamook. Mid-sentence yell, I stop and I say, Tillamook? Tony Kornheiser loves Tillamook. I guess I'll give it a try. He then proceeds to give me that look that only people who've been married 20 plus years can give each other that means, really? You won't trust me, but you trust that bald orange man you listen to three times a week? This is really what our marriage has come to? And I just smiled back, and we continued on our day. Relationship goals. From Kevin Disher in Bay City, Michigan. Thin skin, grapefruit? That sounds like the beginning of a yarn in the local rag. An unhinged man went to Safeway yesterday looking to provoke temperamental citrus with his acerbity. From Terry Schoonover, I'm a long-time listener. I've had the occasional email, email read on the air. I've always admired your support of the arts, including your takes on David Mamet, Arthur Miller, and general theater discussion. I'm a proud graduate of the Mizzou Theater Program. It's always good to hear my alma mater marching band with your rendition of the mailbag. I've performed in many plays and a few musicals over the past 30 years. I've never written in to ask you to plug one of my shows, but now I ask for a show that I am not actually involved in. Talking Horse Productions in Columbia, Missouri will open Seminar by Teresa Rebeck on Friday, February 17th. That's in two days, and it will run for two weeks. The play is a five-person cast and features the woman related to me by marriage, Erin Madison, and fellow little David Mack. It's an adult one-act comedy about four aspiring writers writers who take a seminar from a more established writer played by David. I haven't asked him if he drew on the musings of an old, balding orange man for his characterization. Littles from all around mid-Missouri are invited to come see the show. Tickets are available at the Talking Horse website or at the door. Be sure to give the cast a hearty lachiserie or the TK salute after the show. Drinks are available at the Whiskey Distillery next door. Many thanks, Terry Schoonover, Columbia, Missouri. Please tell director Russ Scott to eat it. So this is Friday, uh, and it's a play called Seminar. 
a one-act play. Sounds which fantastic. Sounds good. From Dennis McCann in Bayfield, Wisconsin. All-knowing grandpa, you were spot on. I wrote a column for the magazine of the Wisconsin State Golf Association for 29 years and can tell you Aaron Rodgers is shown to have a three handicap at the Green Bay Country Club. Ten was a gift we would all enjoy. I played with him. He's really good. From Sean Mulroy in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I was busy Sunday night. Didn't watch the revamped Pro Bowl games. Who won Steal the Bacon, the AFC or the NFC? It's from last week. Um, from Robert Berry. Greetings, Dr. Tony. Where's he from? He's from Rochester, New York. Robert M. Berry. Hope you are starting to feel better. If one of the new games is events that happen where the likelihood is zero to near zero, then I realize I have an event, and it can even tie into an old TK segment, Old Guy Radio. My mom and dad divorced when I was young, and my dad remarried almost 40 years ago and has been living in Seattle, my favorite city. The person to whom I related by marriage, and I've gone to visit three times. This last time was last summer, and on this visit... The crew, me, my wife, my dad, and his wife, Jane, were going to the Oregon coast to stay at a B&B in the Willamette Valley area, which, of course, already had me enthusiastic for the TK connection. On the way, we got hungry. So after an internet search, we found a small sandwich shop in Olympia, Washington. I believe that's the capital of Washington, Olympia. We go in and place our order and go to sit down. Jane goes to use the restroom. In the back, the crew working on food prep were discussing an old song and trying to remember the name of the song based on some lyrics. Jane comes out of the bathroom, hears what they are talking about, and immediately pipes up in the year 2525. Yeah, Zager and Evans, 1969. You know, it's a terrible, terrible song that reached number one. It's screaming. It's like Wilbon. Everyone there was amazed that she knew what they were talking about until she followed up with my brother-in-law played bass on that song. For the record, her brother-in-law is Mark Dalton, and you can find his name on Wikipedia. Still plays regularly in the area, and we've seen him play a couple of times. So, small sandwich shop, middle of a trip, discussion of the minor end of 60s hit songs, and a relative to one of the session players walks in. What are the odds? I don't know. About a million to one, maybe more. Well, 50, 50. From Charlie Burtz in Springfield, Virginia. The Dallas Mavericks have announced that Kyrie Irving is is uh, already seeking to be traded again. Yeah, it's been a great ride. Thanks to all the fans here in D-Town, but it's time to move on. The Mavs are trading him to the league's worst Houston Rockets for future rights to Victor Wembanyama. This isn't even for Victor the player, mind you, but for the song. Jolene Wojcik in Grand Island, Nebraska. And this is long. Last week was Catholic Schools Week across the nation. Since I work at the foundation office of Catholic High School, we had many extra activities planned, and we notified the local paper in case their education reporter wanted to do a story on it. Our foundation is also in the process of building a new elementary school on our campus because both the Grand Island Catholic grade schools were closed in the early 1970s. We need to raise $11 million. Started in July last year, we're at $8 million. So we're fairly happy with our progress. With it being Catholic Schools Week, I sent over a very nicely written press release to the local paper highlighting where we're at, thanking donors, and inviting people to be a part of it. On Friday morning, I received a phone call from a local newspaper reporter. I thought, finally, they're going to do a story. Are we discussing Catholic Schools Week? Maybe an article on our campaign? Questions about the new elementary school? No. The reporter says, I'd like to interview you about Tony Kornheiser, and we'd like to do a story on your relationship with the show. <laughs> the connective tissue. You just never know where Littles will turn up. I told him if he makes a donation to the campaign, I'll work with him on the story. I probably violated some journalistic rule there, but who cares? I got to get to $11 million. Isn't that nice? That's fantastic. Um, and from uh, Mike, my calf doll. Mike, my calf doll. A-F-D-H-L, my calf doll? In Calhoun, Georgia. They found 12 more moons on Jupiter, passing Saturn for the most moons. Jupiter now with 92. Oof. Still no word on Uranus. <laughs> from David Benson. Skyview Light is a free app you can download for Tony and listeners to find and see stars, planets, etc. Skyview Light. Open it and just move the phone around using the camera and the screen will show what you are pointing at. It uses augmentation to show the constellations and planets, meaning it highlights, draws lines, pictures, and adds names overlaid onto the actual night sky using said camera. My wife found it a few years ago for the kids to use when my oldest was obsessed with the solar system. It helps when it's a cloudy night so you can confirm that the reason you can't see the comet is not because you have no idea what you are looking for or at or that you don't know cardinal directions, but rather it's a DC light pollution. It's nice to know. Skyview Light, L-I-T-E. If you're out on your bike time, everyone as always do wear white. Victor Wimbanyama, Victor Wimbanyama, Victor Wimbanyama.
alone in San Francisco, sitting in a tub a little hungover, but now won't it surprise though? Holding myself tight, my breath along with time. Say.